giving people an a large amount of time, money, or people is almost always a mistake. Because I built Technorati purely as like an ego project for myself. You know, let's build something that's cool. Doing it all the wrong way taught me by hard experience how to do things the, a better way. In the web, if you're going beyond six months out, you're just guessing. At today's Zerb Soapbox, we're thrilled to have Dave Sofri here, an entrepreneur and founder of Technorati and Offbeat Guides. And he'll be talking to us about his experiences of founding and running web-based startups. We've got a great audience here today, some excellent questions from everyone, and Dave is going to be doing his best to, to answer all of them. So thanks for listening, and uh, we hope uh, you enjoy Zerb Soapbox. So first of all, hi, thank you, Dimitri, and thanks, everybody. It's nice to be here and uh, to, to meet you guys and to chat a little bit and maybe share a little bit of experience, strength, and hope. Because uh, <laughs> God knows in a young company, I think the, the latter is one of the most important things that you need. Um, why don't I tell you just really quickly, for those of you who don't know who I am or my background, I'll, I'll give you a quick uh, just two-minute history of me. So uh, I grew up in, uh, in Long Island, or Long Island, you got a problem with that, as we like to say. <laughs> Uh, and uh, was a computer geek and studied computer science uh, uh, at university, and, um, but also started my first business when I was 16 doing uh, DBase 4 consulting. Mm, I see a couple of nodding heads. Yes, we're old, right. Um, so anyway, uh, lived overseas for a number of years in Japan, Came back to the United States and in 1996 started my first company out here in the valley. It was called uh, Secure Remote. We did uh, Linux-based VPNs software back in 1996, which was a fantastic way to find out that nobody knew what Linux was, nobody knew what the internet was, people were had no idea how you actually made money off of it, and um, you know what it's like to be five years too early to the market. Um, and uh, went from there, though, and the same co-founders of myself in 1998 started another company called Linux Care, uh, which was up in San Francisco, and um, that one kind of took off. We did services and support for all things Linux. Um, and went through this the crazy, horrendous first bubble story Right, you know, we took like seventy million dollars from Kleiner Perkins and you know all these big VC firms, and we went from literally three people to four hundred and eighty people in eighteen months, building a you know building essentially what we were calling was a, a silicon-based services model, right? So trying to build out lots of ways to scale human beings by building software on top of it to be able to do services. Um, Anyway, ran that as the CTO uh, for about five years. In 2002, I left and started another company called Sputnik in the Wi-Fi space, where what we did was um, managed Wi-Fi routers that were super, super cheap. And, you know, like if you go to a coffee shop or what have you, right, you could just plug one of these suckers in and be able to get off to the races and start making money from it. Um, 
with that, never took a penny in outside funding, and instead the company just kind of made it to profitability very nicely, and it's still going on. Um, by the end of 2002, had realized that firmware programming is certainly for a very, very special group of engineers, and I wasn't one of them. Uh, and in, so started uh, working in my spare time on a little side project called Technorati, which was really, frankly, I built purely for myself. I just wanted to know in the end, you know, this blogging thing was super cool. I was all into it. I loved writing. I loved, you know, being able to get feedback from people. And in the end, all I really wanted to know was, what are people saying about me today? Uh, and I admit that that's somewhat narcissistic. Uh, and uh, by the way, this leads to one of the good lessons, which is like if you're going to start a business, picking one of the cardinal sins probably isn't a bad way to go. <laughs> right? It, 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 it focuses on, on people's needs. And uh, anyway, Technorati kind of took off totally in spite of me. I made so many mistakes at that business. It's not even funny. And I'll tell you some of them. Um, I was there as the founder and CEO for about five years. Uh, built the business from, you know, me in my garage with two old computers that I bought off of eBay, running off of my home DSL line, uh, to uh, just around uh, 15 million unique visitors a month and a million dollars or so a month in revenue and um, about 50 people, 50 employees. At which point, um, <clears throat> it was time to bring on a new CEO to help kind of grow the company another 10x fold, right? Where we actually brought in a new guy who's been helping us to build a big blog ad network as well. And then from there, um, just lastly, so I took a little bit of time off and I started another company called Offbeat Guides. And what we do is personal travel guides. So for over 30,000 different destinations worldwide, Right, we actually pull in all of the events, the festivals, the things that are going on, the best things to do, see, you know, buy, the places to go, and then personalize it just for you, what you care about based on your preferences. And then we actually deliver them to people in whatever format they want, including, gasp, <laughs> printed books. Right? So I can even I'll pass this around. You guys can take a look at it. Um, so... You were asking, so what are, what are kind of the, the five big lessons? I mean, there are so many. And, and well, let, me, let me just say this, too. I really feel best when I'm not just some guy standing up in front of all of you, and I'd much rather this be a really interactive conversation. So if you have any questions at any time or if you have a comment, right, or you think I'm full of crap, like, get up there and say it. Chances are I am. Um, the... Uh, the, I guess some of the big things, I'm not sure I can limit it to just five. So one of the really big ones was not measuring everything, right? So the first three years, and because I built Technorati purely as like an ego project for myself, I mean, it was a science project is how it got started. Um, I didn't build any analytics into it. I didn't put any A-B testing into it. I didn't sit down and ask myself, how are we doing? Right? I mean, I thought, judging just by my server logs, that that was kind of a neat way of doing things. Or it was, how many people are writing me, or how many people are, how many people are talking about the company itself. Um, and it took us 
about three years until we were able to get enough discipline inside of the company where it wasn't, oh my God, it's rushing from one fire drill to the next. It's actually, how do we step back from this and understand what our growth is going to be, say, three to six months from now, and work really hard to actually achieve the technology and the systems to be able to scale to that growth. And I think we got incredibly lucky because people were so excited and, you know, were, had such low expectations of the service that even though we would go down all the time, I mean, you know, like I built the thing on MySQL to start. I mean, who builds a search engine on, you know, on a relational database? It's, it's kind of, um, well, the naivete of youth, right? Um, and having done that, though, I will say this. Doing it all the wrong way taught me by hard experience how to do things the, a better way. I, I won't say the right way, <laughs> right? And it also taught me a whole bunch of ways of thinking about problems that perhaps had I started out doing it the right way, we would have never gotten to, right? So when I thought at first about what I was trying to do, the core goal was satisfy my personal needs, right? And I, you know, even though I was the pro you could say I was the product manager, I was also the customer, right? So the good news was I really knew the customer quite well. The, the problem was the customer was a tricky beast who, was, who constantly was changing his mind all the time. And because we built it at the beginning on things like a relational database, it meant that I could actually try and experiment on a gazillion interesting ideas and applications, right? And we, you know, I was able to very, very quickly throw stuff up on the wall like it was spaghetti, see which ones worked, see which ones didn't. The problem was we didn't really have a discipline around it. And so it kind of took me saying, wow, we should have a top book section, and then going home and hacking it together over a weekend in order for a new feature to happen. And so I didn't really set, set things up, especially as we started growing and building employees, to say, you know, it's not about what Dave thinks, because it was in that, at that point, right? It's about what does the data say, right? And had we had more discipline, I think, from the start, we would have been able, I would have been able to say, go build cool stuff, I don't know the right answer, and put more empowerment in my employees instead of kind of making it more... And it was unconscious. It wasn't something that I wanted to happen, but it turned into that because it was kind of an arbitrary decision process. But yeah? My question is, uh, what's different about what you actually did and best practices in adult product building? Okay. Um, so, and I can talk a little bit about, for example, what we're doing at Offbeat Guides and how that's very different, right? And what, you know, some of the lessons learned from, in a lot of ways, doing it the wrong way. Uh, I'm banging my head a whole bunch of times. So one of the first things was understand your business model, right? When I started Technorati, I really, it, the business, there was no business model. It was build something cool that's just for me. And then the second part of it was, hey, you know, it's a search engine. Like, we could use AdWords or AdSense and, you know, or Yahoo's, you know, Yahoo's product, and we'll be able to monetize it. And what we found out when we started doing that was, People have a very, very, very different intent when they come to search for conversations than when they come to search for on a traditional search engine looking for products, right? So our click-through rates were much, much lower. The amount of revenue that we thought we were going to be making by just plugging advertising in 
totally didn't work. So the first step was figure out your business model and then design your product around that model. So at Offbeat Guides, we said, we're going to sell books. Like, this is what we do. And people understand how to buy books. They understand that books cost money, right? They understand that, like, you know, there's, there's real value in what they receive. So, and they know, they, they understand the experience already. We don't have to go so far out and try everything in its sister. Let's try focusing on building something really great, but that has what they want plus, right? And then, so the nice thing there was you could use all of the great tools like Google Analytics. You could use, um, uh, uh, you know, you could use Website Optimizer. You could use all of these tools that also, by the way, in 2002, 2003, didn't exist, right? Um, and and because they're built around things like a funnel, right? We could actually start then. So, oh, okay, our goal is conversions, right? And now let's actually sit down and say, how do we test those conversions? And let's, you know, let's actually be disciplined about it. Red versus green, mascot versus no mascot, put the pricing on there, don't put the pricing on there. And so we could immediately, and literally within, within a week, right, have enough statistical information in an A-B test or in a multivariate test to actually be able to say, this is going to generate higher conversions for us, right? Whereas... With Technorati, there was so much like, I don't know, you know, let's build something that's cool, right? That I think we got we got involved too much in building something cool for ourselves and not enough thinking about what is it that we're trying to drive. You understand what I'm saying? Well, it, it sounds like you didn't understand yourself as a customer because you were intuitively using yourself as the user. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. You just hope that you're representative of something that's yeah, and I think, I think it, it turned out reasonably well from that perspective. But when I look back and I go, so, for example, we tried, um, we tried building products for the PR industry and for marketing companies, for example. right? Because when, when we started out, we said, oh, great, we'll make money off of ads. And the ads didn't really make a lot of money. We then said, oh, well, but all these PR agencies keep calling us up. All these marketing companies keep calling us up. They want to get access to the data. They want to be able to find out the sentiment and what people are saying about them right now and the companies that they represent. So we spent a good year focusing on building analytic products for these companies, right? But even there, I don't think we had, we had the discipline of doing enough testing with those early customers. Otherwise, we would have found out very early on they, they love the idea, and they, never, and they don't have any budget, right? And that, in fact, just wasn't the right way to go, right? And what we ended up realizing in the end was, and again, this was coming back and talking to our actual customers and sort of asking them what they wanted, was, you know, they kept saying, we love Technorati, we're frustrated by it sometimes, but you know what? We come back to you all the time. You guys are the authority. You keep, you know, you keep us informed. Help us make money. Right? Help us to, you know, we, we, as a small blog or as a small social network, we don't have enough clout to be able to get Madison Avenue to think about us. But if you can aggregate all of the traffic that we have, you have all this information about us, can you help us to make money? And that was actually the thing that really lit upon the high growth of revenue. It wasn't so much the high growth in traffic anymore. But, like, our traffic, in fact, remained relatively flat, but the revenue numbers just started taking off like crazy because all of a sudden you were going from, you know, 
just trying to deliver ads or just trying to deliver audience on one site and turning it into 10x or 100x of the, the amount of reach. So Dave, um, really interested about your designing. Um, how do you design a service? You know, you were saying how there's tons of feature requests and uh, you were sort of juggling all of them at once. And we were really wondering, how do you go from a feature request to code to actually coding something up? I know people have roadmaps. How do you choose which feature to implement? Uh -huh. So, um, of course, we had a roadmap, especially as you start getting bigger, right? Like once you start getting more than 10, 12 employees, right, you, you go beyond what I call like little red schoolhouse, right, where everybody can kind of sit in a room and you got the first graders helping the first grade or the second graders helping the first graders and the third graders helping the second graders and it all kind of works out, right? And y'all have, you know, structured recess and y'all go have fun, right? Um, but once you start getting beyond about 20 people or so in a company, you can't just gather everybody around in one room and have an all-hands meeting of really any value, right? And so certainly we started breaking that apart and saying, okay, how can we go three months out? How can we go six months out? And by the way, in the web, if you're going beyond six months out, you're just guessing, right? I mean, I could create terrific five-year plans and my investors would all be like, cool, and the reality was entirely, you know, entirely uh, variable, right, beyond about six months. E even six months was, was way long, right? So part of this was stepping back and saying, yeah, totally. I think if you're planning a year out, you're wasting your time. Yeah. It, it, well, let me put it this way. It's always good to plan. <laughs> of course, you, it all depends on who you're planning for, right? If you're planning for your investors and so on, sure. I mean, you have to be able to say, is there a real market here? Like, are, is, there, is there money in this space? Are we, char you know, are we charging enough? Are we building the right stuff? But if you're actually starting to think feature functionality, right, a year out, forget it, right? You're, you, I think you're, it's, you're just... A certain, since we're being recorded, I probably shouldn't say that word, but, but a certain amount of mental um, uh, onanism is coming into play. All of those people, yes, all, all of you vocabulary of the day people. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, but, but three to six months feels like it works about right. Right is kind of what I've seen. Um, going too much further, and you're—it's just—it's very hard, right? You you become um, inflexible to the changes in the marketplace, right? And so, but very often. So here, here's the other really interesting thing: is I tried to find people who had as much as possible a combination of coding skills and design skills, and these are really really hard people to find, by the way. Right? And I think they still remain so. so. Even in this recession, it's extraordinarily difficult to find people who actually have a combination of good design sense and the ability to actually code things up. Right? If you can't find those people, at least find then somebody who's really, really strong in design and somebody who's really, really strong in coding and make sure that they love each other. <laughs> right? And actually then try to you know, then slide as many pizzas under the door as you can possibly find. Right, 
And if you keep that and then sort of add a business person on a sort of one to three <laughs> ratio approximately, right? So three teams of these, you know, designer, coder, designer, coder, designer, coder, business person, designer, coder, designer, coder, designer, business person, right? You're doing about right. Because business people, and as a business person myself, right, you, you, it's, it's amazing to think about all of these, these really cool ideas about the things that we can do. And you oh, run out and let me find these partners and we've got all these customers and clients and if only the damn engineers would execute, right? So you can't have too many business people compared to the, the sort of uh, the actual implementers. What did you learn between your hiring and technology and guys? Sorry, is that sort of the lessons you learned as far as building your team? It is. I think that um, I think one of the things that I learned was the smaller the team, the better. Right? Big teams, and this is Mythical Man Month stuff. If you guys, have you all read Mythical Man Month? Have you heard of this book? Okay, yeah. So if you haven't read this book yet and you're, and you're involved in any way with kind of like helping to drive and deliver products, I highly recommend that you go out and buy it. It was written in the like mid-1960s, early 1970s, if I recall correctly. So it was like later 70s? Maybe it was later 70s. Um, Everyone got to read it, though. Required reading. Good. It, it's a terrific book, even if you just skim through it. And a lot of the things that you'll hear are things that lots of other people have repeated, but it's only because it's true, right? It's kind of like, think of pregnancy as a product, right? You know, you can throw more people at it. It's still going to take nine months, right? Um, you know, the, these, are, these, are, these are some of the things that, that, that just are... Projects, there are going to be projects that just take a certain amount of time to deliver, and actually adding more people to the product in an attempt to get it done faster only slows down the product, right? It only slows down development. And in the world of the web, um, I mean, I'm not one of these guys who's like super like scrum and everything is agile and, you know, we have to follow the latest buzzword. I, I think the, the, the core question is, you know, can you keep a team of people as small as humanly possible? Can you keep them reasonably resource constrained? That's another thing that most people don't think about. You, as a, as a builder, you always want, oh, if I could only get that cool designer to come in and, you know, work with us. Or, oh, if I could only get, you know, that new software tool. Or, oh, if I only had 10 more machines. There's something that's extraordinarily liberating about having really deep constraints towards what you can do. That it forces you to be really creative and really focused in what you deliver. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, you know, of course, the more that you can actually get a, some clarity of design from the client, but in my experience, that almost never happens, right? I mean, the and maybe that's just me, right? But usually what happens is, you know, somebody comes to me and they say, okay, I kind of want this, right? And maybe they've even done the design where, you know, they'll come to me with wireframes and so on. And you look at it and you go, oh, it's total crap, right? You know, let, let me redesign that the right way, right? But giving people an inf a large amount of time, money, or people is almost always a mistake, right? And so, in fact, what I tend to find is if... Um, if I'm trying to get a project done, I try to find as few people as possible to actually deliver the first iteration that's possible, right? So I had, a, I had a VP of engineering at Linux Care, actually, who told me a great definition of version 1.0, right? So version 1.0 of your product is the absolute barest set of features that will allow you to sell it. 
right? The absolute barest set. And so write down all of your features, and you can probably still take off a couple of them. And the feature, the product's not going to be complete. But can you actually sell it? And if the answer is yes, then you probably haven't reduced enough to get to 1.0, right? There's a, there's a great quote um, that I've heard around from, from a bunch of different people, but shipping is a feature, right? And, and I think a lot of people, and I know I do this myself, I'm a perfectionist. I, do, I want to have all of the cool features in there, and I want to have them all working just right, and I want to make sure that it's totally scalable to hundreds of thousands of users before I launch it. And that's almost always a mistake. Right? Duct tape is a good thing. And like, because what it lets you do is it lets you fail far more often. So one of the things that I think we did right at Technorati actually was taking this attitude of let's throw a whole bunch of spaghetti up on the wall and let's see what sticks. Because for all of the cool features that you guys have seen, right, there are 30 more that we tried out and then decided, boy, that's cruff, that doesn't work, and either shelve them or, you know, put them way, way, way deep into the site so that you know, they didn't really affect the experience one way or another, right? But I think that by constraining your resources, it gives the most important resource, which is your time, is the thing that you maximize, right? How about the book? We got about five more minutes. Okay. So going to Brian's question again in terms of hiring, do you think, um, well, probably two questions. One, do you think culture is important, or is it an overhyped phrase in businesses um, in terms of how you start and grow the company? And two is, you know, what kind of qualities do you look for when you hire people? How do you identify them? Mm, okay. Boy, those, those are actually really important, deep questions. Um, here's what I found after starting five businesses. And the first three, um, well, so let me tell you first. Culture happens in every business. Every business has a culture, whether you plan it or not. The best businesses have planned cultures because at least then you got a chance to get it right. It doesn't mean you always get it right, <laughs> but at least you know, how am I doing, right? Uh, you know, at Linux Care, we had, we went from three to 480 and it was insane. It was a culture of explosion and it was a culture of conflict. Right, and we like to see, we used to say we put the fun in dysfunctional, <laughs> um, and I learned a lot from that. Right, and I knew okay, well, the next time that I'm going to build a company, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to try to build it slowly. But what I am going to do, and when we took funding uh, at Technorati, I actually took a week off, and I went and I tried to figure out, and I sat down with a piece, piece of paper, and I said, who do I want us to be? Right? What is the culture that I want to build? Right? What is the core motto and mantra? Right? And I'm not talking about vision statements and mission statements and all that stuff. I mean, that's nice, but that could be just corporate BS. Right? That there was something much, much deeper about it to me. And what, we actually, what I came back with, and you know, when I said to myself, what is it that I feel like after four, five, ten years, if I work at this company, that if we succeed in this one thing, no matter what else happens, I'll feel good? And what it came down to for me was be of service. Right? To be of service. 
I think we all, some, somewhere deep inside of us, want to be of service to something much bigger than ourselves, right? And something that I hope changes the world. And look, you're a business. Your job is to make money. But if we can also help to be of service to others while we're doing that, then we know we're on the right track, right? And so we would constantly be asking ourselves, is this of service, right? Is this of service? Is this something that, that is, you know, helping or is this just, you know, is this just more cruft, right? Are we throwing, you know, like it's so easy it's sometimes to just throw stuff up on the page, right, because you just want to try it out. And so we kept asking ourselves, are we of service? And then when we would talk to each other, the big question was, how can I be of service to you today, right? Um, and so we would use that in our hiring decisions as well. And I think part of this is building it into the set of questions that you ask people, but even more importantly, it's watching how people interact over the first two, three weeks of their, of their employment. So we were also very, very careful. We had a, you know, anybody can blackball a candidate uh, uh, policy at Technorati, and we have it at Offbeat Guides as well, which is if you can start indoctrinating and bringing that culture, whatever it is for your organization, and you can make it conscious and clear, right? It doesn't have to be be of service. It can be don't be evil. It can be, you know, make lots of money, whatever it is that you want that to be. But if you can be, if you're not being clear about it and if everybody doesn't understand it, right, then guaranteed you're just going to go and it'll be fractured in, in a thousand different pieces because without clear direction, everybody's just going to walk away from it. But the nice thing was since everybody felt that way, we were kind of oozing it from the pores. And so our candidates would come in, and they'd also know immediately, like, do I want to take this job because there's so much of this, like, do, is what I want to do more than a job? Is this, do I really want to be of service? Right? And some of them would be like, nope, not interested. I'm just looking for a nine-to-five gig. And, like, great. Like, it was like, you know, the white blood cells, they would, they would get rejected. <laughs> right? But, you know, maybe yours is we really want, you know, a great lifestyle balance. That's cool, you know. I mean, but but the more important thing is to to just be really clear, and you know, it gets harder to do the bigger that you are, right? The more people who are in the company at the time when you actually sit down and try to figure this out, the harder it is to make it something that really, really sticks and doesn't just feel like a whole bunch of corporate BS, right? Secondly, or or it's the kind of thing that is it really has to come from the top. Right? And then it has to be lived. It can't just be said. Right? You got another, another question here? Did that answer your question, by the way? Or did, I knew you had, you had two. We'll take, we'll take two more questions. Too. Yeah, sure. So, Lonely Planet has got tons of apps now, very successful on mm -hmm. So, why are you going towards print? Well, it's not to say that we aren't going also towards mobile, right? I think the. I mean, first of all, let's be clear. We, we have seven people at the company. <laughs> so we have to pick and choose and be very, very careful about what are the things that we're going to be spending our time on and what are the most important priorities, the second most important priorities, and the third most important priorities. Um, and what we realized was right now there's this enormous hole in the market of, you know, for people like my sister or my mom or my dad, who are not going to be using their mobile phones. They're not big, you know, they don't have the latest iPhone or BlackBerry, right? And, you know, 
if I gave my wife my iPhone and I said, honey, you know, get us to whatever, she'd be like, huh? Right? And that's not a diss against her. It's just she's not a technology person like that. But if I hand her a book and I say, honey, tell me the directions, she knows exactly what to do with a book. Right? So that was number one. Number two is, so I actually think that there's something very interesting in the tangible. Right? I think that there's an extraordinary opportunity. If you think about, you can think about the web in a, in a number of different ways, but one way I like to think about it is, so web 1.0, sort of the, the pre-first bust, was all about kind of bricks and mortar companies coming online. Right? And taking the current sort of business models that were out there, auctions, and turning them online. Okay. Right? You know, books, Amazon, right? And so on. The second generation of the web was very much all about frictionlessness, right? So it was like, wow, we're all online. What are all of these cool, amazing things that no one has ever really thought of, you know, that we could do, like social networks, okay? Yeah, sure, we kind of have an analog to social networks in our real world, but there's so much friction here, right? You know, the Dunbar number and all the rest of it. It's like, I know how many people I can know. But boy, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and all this other cool stuff really started to take off, viral videos, you know, all of that stuff. And I think that we're, I think that there's an extraordinary opportunity here in the third part of the web of this third generation, which is how can we take all of this amazing stuff that's happening in frictionlessness and turn it into tangible products again? So whether it's things like Spreadshirt or, uh, um, uh, you know, Etsy or, uh, you know, some of the different crowdsourcing startups that are out there, or it's things like, you know, what we're trying to do with guides, where we're taking the virtual and bringing it back into the physical, right? I think that there's going to be a really, really interesting opportunity here over the next five to ten years. And so this is our first product, right? And I think, so number one, it's really differentiated. Like, when I show this to someone, and so I love watching people just feel it and touch it and, you know, look through it. That's one way of really getting memorable. The second thing, though, is, look, it's just information. So my take is, if you've bought the information, I want you to get it in any way that you can. right? I want you to be able to get it this way, see it in HTML, get it on your mobile phone. Right Now, the interface might be a little bit different. right? So maybe it's a map-oriented interface when you're looking at it on the phone, and it's a more of a narrative interface when you're looking at it in a book or on the web. right? But the core piece of information doesn't change. So watch this space. So Dave, uh, I'm interested, and I know everybody here is interested about a term called viral. Everybody's talking about it. What does it mean to you, to your organization, to Technorati, to Offbeat Guides? It's good, actually. This was I was actually at a talk last night where this came up as well. Um, I like to think of viral as a strategy that you can measure as opposed to something that you can guarantee, right? So we like to think of coefficient of virality when we build stuff, right? How are we building things to enable people to share it? How do we measure when those people have shared it with others? So to me, virality is all about, it's like that chain reaction of saying, how do I make my customers or my users into my evangelists? 
so that, that other people find out about my product through them, and then they're incented to tell other people about the product and so on and so forth. And the only way that you can really make, you know, sort of like go from subcritical mass to critical mass is by tuning and, twist, tuning and testing and looking at, so if I put this out and I say retweet this, how many people actually retweet it, right? And compared to the total number of people who then see that retweet, how many of them actually come to the service? And then how many of those people actually come sign in and then take the next step, which is retweeting it again? Right? Like, you can measure every single one of those steps. And when your coefficient of virality is under 1.0, you grow slowly. And when your coefficient of virality goes above 1.0, you start growing fast. And when it's above 2.0, you're growing at a geometric rate. Right? But this is totally designable and measurable. And you can test it, and you can, you can track it in the exact same ways that you're tracking e-commerce type stuff today. Right? And I don't think it's about, gee, let's go out and create a really cool video because maybe it'll get so big it'll be like the wedding dance. That to me is, I think, a complete waste of money. Right? I think it's about sitting down and saying, how do I design my application so that it, it is so useful and it's, and it's designed so that people want to share it with others and then I can measure that. Cool. Well, thank you.